What you just heard was the back and forth, an indigenous song that is sung as an introduction or accompaniment to a social dance. This song was one of many hundreds of audio, visual, photographs, and other multimedia sources that have been recently preserved through a project called Digitizing the Ancestors. Digitizing the Ancestors is a joint venture between the U of A Sound Studies Institute and the Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta, or AMSA, AMSA purchased thousands of reels of tape dating back to the 1960s which contained indigenous music stories and audio interviews with both community leaders and elders. Today, I speak with Bert Crowfoot, CEO of AMSA, and Mary Ingram, University of Alberta professor in music history and the director of the Sound Studies Institute. Both of them are co-leading this project to ensure that indigenous oral history is preserved in a new digital way for generations to come. Well, one of our board members, Noel McNaughton, is also in the Senate of the University of Alberta. And he was at a meeting here, and he had, I guess Mary was introduced, and they were doing a tour of the facilities there, and he went up to her and said, oh, you know, I love what you're doing, and I think that we might have something that we can work together on. So he <coughs> gave Mary my contact information. She sent me an email and, and said she was interested in seeing what we had. And, you know, my first reaction was, oh, good, because when we first got them, they were just sitting in boxes for about 33 years. <laughs> and so, you know, I've always, you know, I look at them and I says, man, we have to do something with these, with these things before they just turn to dust. And so uh, she came along at the right time. So we set up a, uh, the first thing was to find out what was in these boxes. So we had a project uh, where we had two individuals come in, go through every box, catalog everything that was in there. A lot of stuff was miscatalogued, so, you know, it didn't really say what was in the box. It just, you know, there was nothing on there. So uh, it was just marked as a tape. And so um, when that was completed, the next phase was to do a, test run and so we took 170 files out of the archives and Mary and the students and group at Music Studies have been uh, digitizing it and then once it was digitized they uh, needed to uh, uh, just give us a sampling of what was in there. And so from there we uh, began creating the cultural metadata so using, uh, working with community members, a uh, student from Native Studies who spoke Cree, a number of these files are in Cree, and students from Linguistics and from Music Department uh, and from community, the ANSA community, we started to, to, to understand the protocols required for even just 
getting the metadata in place. And uh, we did this pilot project, and once we, once we set those things in place, we've now just started at the beginning of the audio files and are just transferring and, and working on them through uh, a sort of an, an ongoing basis. And then recently we started with the film, which is 16 millimeters. So you mentioned audio files, film. What types of other multimedia materials are, are a part of this collection? Well, there's many kinds of magnetic tape. So we're, we're working mostly with the reel-to-reel because -reel that's some of the oldest and most, most vulnerable um, media right now. But there are cassettes. There are our, our, our data, or dat, dat cassette, early, early digital audio. Um, there are some other things that were created just for radio formats. The film is largely 16 millimeter, um, but there are some other formats in film as well. There's also a massive archive of photographs and posters and, and minutes from meetings and uh, correspondence that we've just sort of lumped together. Here's 35 pictures of this. Uh, and so they're going to require um, a, a whole different type of media transfer and metadata. And so you mentioned that there's all these sorts of formats and everything. And w what are some of the difficulties with this digitization process? Some of the technical difficulties are, are simply having the right equipment to do the transfer. Uh, the Arts Resource Center in the Faculty of Arts has the reel-to-reel, -reel, but they don't have the 16-millimeter film transfer equipment. So for that project, we're working with provincial archives. And the digital transfer in archival preservation quality is just the first step. And then we run into some other challenges with respect to cultural protocols. Right. And so what are some of those cultural protocols? Well, most of the material in this collection is was based for media, so radio interviews, television interviews, and so most of it is uh, non non ceremonial. Non, it's still cultural, but non ceremonial. So it was uh, slated for broadcast. So that's one hurdle that's might or may or may not be in 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 the way. If there was ceremonial stuff, then of course uh, there would be a real restrictive uh, protocols on who has access to those materials. Uh, but some of a lot of the people who are on these tapes have passed, so there's been some concern raised by some people about the uh, hearing someone who's passed, right? Uh, there's other people who believe that it's awesome that it keeps their words alive, so we have to kind of sort through those and see, you know, which applies to, to, to these these tapes. Um, <coughs> so once we've get got all of that in place, it's finding a platform in order to put it on so that it's accessible by the community. And with the protocols that Mary was talking about, some might be only ex be accessible by a certain group of people, some might be just the community, and the rest is for general, uh, for the general public. And has there been a platform chosen so far of where all these files are going to go and be stored? Well, there are, there are a couple of formats that are going to be stored in. The University of Alberta Libraries will hold a digital collection with all the same protocols for access, but it, but it will hold that and uh, upgrade the, the, uh, the software needed you know, over time. So long-term preservation there. Uh, AMSA will also hold these digital files for use in their in radio programming as, as appropriate uh, and other media that they're, that they're involved in, including an educational website that AMSA has called Buffalo Spirit. Um, but we've also started working with content management systems, and the University of Alberta has a certain approach to this, 
and we have also we've been looking at that as well as we just came back from um, Melbourne, Australia, where we worked with um, a, a group of individuals and indigenous communities from Australia and as well as our group um, to consider the, 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 the platform Mukutu, which comes out of the University of Washington, um, but is used, uh, it's an indigenous based community managed community content management system. So we're looking at Mukutu and uh, um, the uh, Edmonton Public Libraries recently did a project with Mukutu for the uh, Voices of Amiskwichi. So there's already a sample there for us and for the community to consider whether this is appropriate for them. It has some limitations, uh, but it also has a great deal to offer communities. So it may turn out that we go that way rather than the University of Alberta way. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of moving parts going on. So w why is it so important to keep these uh, materials preserved? A lot of it is um, when when they looked at some of the Cree that was on some of these tapes, uh, some of the Cree speakers didn't understand it because it's a an older form of Cree that was spoken 40, 50, 60 years ago, and so in <coughs> so there's that that's one of the issues. The uh, it, it's important that I remember reading a story on social media about a young lady who walked into a room. And her mother was listening to a tape that her father had made. And she said, you know, to hear his voice after he had been deceased for the past 10 years was was so emotional. She, it, she, it just hit her. And then she sat there and she found a lot of comfort. And, you know, she was really happy to hear his voice and that, that his words were still alive and still had a lot of meaning to her. And so I'm, I, I believe there's going to be a lot of that happening in, in, in when people start listening to it and to hear someone that who's been gone for 30, 40 years. Some of the stories on there are do by Dr. Ann Anderson, who uh, I think left us in 1998 or so. And she tells stories in Korean, and then she tells the same story in English. Um, stories about uh, with Adrian Hope, who's a Métis historian. There's some tapes of him in there. Um, just a lot of what was happening in in the time period between 1967 and 1982 is where most of this material was collected. And you touched upon this a little bit earlier, but how do you really balance treating these materials with the respect they deserve, but also making sure that they're accessible to to possibly researchers, students, or, or to Indigenous people? I would always say to uh, any of my graduate students in particular who are looking to do research that they ask themselves why. Why is it important that I use this object, this sound, whatever? And that goes for any cultural community. And so um, making these materials accessible in the format that is um, respectful of the community, uh, the families, um, and the purpose of it is is more important in this project than everybody having access to everything. So there, there are always questions of why are we doing this and, and for whom. And I think in, in every case, it is, uh, it is for the community uh, whose voices are being heard. Just the fact that this story has been told on numerous media, you know, just in the last few days, has sparked a lot of interest we've had couple of emails from individuals who 
you know, who said, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's important. I'm non-indigenous, but I think it's important that this stuff be preserved. And I'm willing to make a donation. You know, so far you've spent about $170,000. The total project could be as high as $2 million. You know, I don't, you know, so, but I want to contribute. And the University of Alberta has a, um, a source or resource that we can use to accept uh, charitable donations. And so that's uh, one of the ways that we work together. And, and it's whatever's best for the project. And so whatever we can contribute, whatever the university contribute, uh, whatever needs to be done, then we're more than willing to do it. I got a phone call this morning from an individual in northern Alberta, Wabiska, and she told me that her father, as part of a high school project, went from house to house and talked with the elders with a reel-to-reel -reel back when he was in high school. And he has since translated all of those. It's Those reel-to-reels have been converted to cassette and then reconverted to digital. Uh, but she doesn't know what to do with it. And so what I'm hoping this, one of the spin-offs of this project will be other, it'll spark interest in the other communities. Uh, part of that Mrukatu project is that the University of Washington uh, has various tribes in the area that are building community databases of some of their archival information, some of the stories, some of the songs, some of the photos from, from the late 1900s. And so they're building their own archives for use in the community and to preserve some of their past, preserve some of their culture, their stories, their songs. And so that's what's important. And if we can get the same interest in happening in Canada, where some of the First Nations here are looking at, at doing a project of this sort, then to me, that's awesome. That's exactly what we're looking for. Everybody has their grandmother who has a box of pictures in their, in their house with uh, a pictures of old photos, the box of old photos. I mean, it doesn't have to be indigenous. Most grandmothers have that box somewhere, <laughs> whether it be Ukrainian or Irish or Scottish or whatever. They're, those grandmothers are known for keeping the family heirlooms together. And a lot of what happens over the past is some of the grandkids or relatives would say, I really like that picture, I want to take it. And those pictures never come back. So now those grandmothers are saying, no, it's not leaving this house, you know. You can take a picture of it or you can scan it, but it's not leaving this house. And so what they did in, in, in uh, Siksika was these people brought in their box of pictures. We'd set up a way for them to be photographed. And then they, were, they took their pictures back. The photos never left their site. And they were given a, a memory stick of their photos. So if someone wanted, they just say, here's the memory stick. You know, I'll email you or, or take a JPEG or share the file, but but that's that's a start of some of the things that's possible. And so, I'd, you know, I'd like to see that spread where some of these old photographs are preserved, or where First Nations and Métis communities and and Indigenous communities set up these archival things to preserve a lot of that stuff that's sitting in the basement or in the attic or in boxes and grandmother's uh, uh, drawers. Were you expecting this type of reaction, the amount of support you've been getting from Indigenous people, not just from Canada, but around the world, from the media organizations? As a person who's been in the media for 44 years, 
Um, I'm surprised that, you know, I've done one or two, maybe three interviews on something that's been happening in, in projects that we've been involved in. But, you know, this is the seventh interview <laughs> that we've done in two days, <laughs> and we've got a couple more lined up for tomorrow. One is a radio station in Vancouver. The other is a radio station in Toronto and Ottawa. And so it's exciting. Um, and it's both indigenous and non-indigenous people that are calling us. It's the indigenous radio stations have, have been great. The, uh, I did an interview with uh, CJW in Calgary this morning. And so to see that sort of interest and also the response from people in the community you know, I'd, I'd shared those those interviews on, on social media and the response I'm getting from people is a way to go. That's awesome. That's very important. That's the, um, the uh, recognition that we're doing something right. And the other thing with working with these other indigenous groups across, across the world is it's sharing. I mean, everybody's opened their hearts and their knowledge and everybody's been very willing to share and this is how we do things and this is how it works and and when i went to australia i uh you know to to meet with the indigenous people over there i mean just even people on the street you you know you make that eye connection and i'm native canadian or uh, indigenous to here and they're indigenous to australia and you make that you know you just look at each other you give that nod and and smile and you know, just even a little hand signal, and, and we don't even talk, they just keep going. But to me, to, to feel that indigenous people around the world have that connection, and, uh, you know, when I was in Australia, I was gifted a set of, of uh, boomerangs for, for clacking sticks, and, you know, it's kind of like by going there, I've actually gained uh, new family members and uh, accepted as, as part of their culture, their tribe. So, so that to me is uh, I've been a real eye opener, and by sharing this stuff, it's you know this is what we're all about. This is what our grandfathers and our grandmothers believed in, and 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 they want to share. I mean, I'm a digital storyteller, I'm also a photographer, and this is all about storytelling. You know, we our tr our traditions are oral. You know, when we tell our stories, people say, well, you're not supposed to write it down. You're not supposed to do, but you know, the fact that they're no longer here, but their stories are still being heard, it's still orally, you know, heard over the air. It, to me, is just a continuation of that tradition. Born on a 